welcome to Soul Talk with Rabbi David Aaron and Leora Mandel. Rabbi Aaron, we are on the cusp of approaching Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, where we mourn many tragedies that happened to the Jewish nation. The biggest one is the destruction of the temple. Two temples were destroyed. And there's so many practices of mourning that leading up to this day, specifically on the day itself, there's the fast and many restrictions to really help us enter into a state of mourning and reflection over the loss of the temple and the tragedies that have happened over the years to the Jewish nation. Now, on the one hand, all of the things, the fasting, the restrictions that come with the day are meant to help us enter to a state of mourning. But the challenge that I have, I think, is God forbid a person is mourning a loss. It's because a person had a connection. Let's say someone loses someone they loved. And there's mourning involved in that loss, but that's because I had a relationship with that person. I knew that person. Realistically, my great-great-grandmother, even if I knew the day she passed, I, it's hard to bring myself to mourn for her because I didn't know her. I had no relationship. Even if I have a picture of her, it's hard for me to feel that connection. On the other hand, Tisha B'Av is a day that we are supposed to enter into a state of mourning and connection to the loss of the temple. So how can we go about doing that when we never lived during the times of the temple to really connect to it? Yeah, excellent question as usual. For sure, we're not mourning uh, a piece of real estate. What we're mourning is a real and sad state of the world. See, people think uh, that the temple is the house of God, as if God lives in a house. But God describes in the Torah, you know, build for me a tabernacle, which was the original temple when it was temporary, and I will dwell in them, which means that the, the, the dwelling of God is not in a house or in a building, but within us. And so what is that temple? That temple is an outside manifestation and indication that we are successfully housing the spirit of God within ourselves. And, uh, and, and, and what, is, what is that spirit of God within ourselves? You know, the only thing we know about God is God's attributes. That God is loving and caring and compassionate and, and kind and, and, and truthful and peaceful and just and wise. And, and so when we talk about God, we're essentially only talking about what we know about God, which is God's attributes. And so when we talk about God dwelling in the world or more specifically dwelling within ourselves, it's really talking about when we talk about the presence of God, it's synonymous with talking about the presence of love, the presence of wisdom, the presence of kindness, compassion, peace, honesty, um, love. And, and, and so the destruction of the temple means that all that has in its essence lost the has left the world. And so, you know, I don't need to have been at the temple to be able to appreciate the loss of love from the world, especially what we're going through now here in Israel and and in, in, in the world at large is a tremendous amount of anti-Semitism and anti-this and anti-that. Basically, the departure of the presence of God from the word world would be synonymous with the departure of love from the world. You know, the first temple is described to have been destroyed because the Jewish people had transgressed three cardinal, cardinal um, uh, prohibitions. One is uh, idolatry. Another one was sexual promiscuity. And the other one was murder. It was that bad. And all these really relate to 
three loves. Idolatry is, I don't love God. Because if I did love God, I wouldn't go looking after other gods. And sexual promiscuity is I don't love myself. Because if I really loved myself, I wouldn't allow myself to treat myself in such a animalistic way and, and, and take something like sexuality that's so personal and should be a, a, a true form of love and, and abuse it. And so sexual promiscuity is a sin against my self-love. And obviously murder is a sense of a, a, a sin against the love between myself and other people. So the three loves, loving God, loving ourselves, and loving each other, were, were violated. The essence of that love was violated. And, and, the, and the very soul of the world, which is love, has left the world. And so that's a destruction. But that temple was rebuilt 70 years later, which means that the Jewish people successfully fixed and, and repented and, 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 uh, and, and atoned for, for those violations of those three loves. The second temple was destroyed because of senseless hate. Now, what's, what is senseless hate? I, I don't know what senseless hate is. I mean, if you ask somebody why they hate them, they come up with a hundred reasons why they hate them. You know, like nobody's going to say, I just hate them because I hate them. Everybody's got a, everybody's got a reason for hating. So, but this is a hate that had no reason. And what could that really mean? So one of the understanding of senseless hate is that, yeah, there's reasons, but they're not really the reasons. You just hate this person because they're different. They didn't do anything to you. They're not a threat to you. You're not getting back at them. It's kind of like children in kindergarten when a child shows up, a new boy, a new girl shows up, and and oh, and, and he, she is overweight or is wearing glasses or is a different color of uh, skin than you. And then all the kids start picking on this poor little kid just because they're different. You didn't do anything wrong. You didn't hurt me. You know, you're not a threat to me. You're just different. And I don't like that. And yeah, we come up with reasons, but they're not reasons, they're excuses. And the second temple hasn't yet been rebuilt into the third temple, which means we have still not fixed, atoned for, really repented for this hating people just because they're different. Mm. So essentially, it all revolves around the ultimate sin against the presence of God, which is the presence of love in the world. And I think on that we can mourn, that we're in a world where people just don't love themselves, don't love each other, and don't love God in the way that we could. And I think if we focus on that loss of love, then there's much reason to, to cry over. And, and the truth is, you know, I, I sometimes think what we really should be, what was really tragic about Tisha B'Av in our generation is that it's not tragic. And that's mm -hmm. incredibly tragic. That for most people today, the losing of the temple, the understanding of what that loss really means in our everyday life, life is not tragic. And, and I think what we need to cry over on Tisha B'Av is that we're not crying. And that's something to really cry over, that we're not crying because we don't really feel something has significantly shifted in the world in terms of what it means to have the presence of God in the world and who we would be in the presence of God. Wow. Well, this definitely makes the loss of Tisha B'a very relevant when I'm talking about struggling with trying to connect 
to something from so long ago, the way you're presenting it now, I think it's viscerally connected to in terms of there's the personal connection and the national connection. And maybe that is part of the tragedy of not understanding the tragedy is that there's many of us that are more in this mind space that I was starting out with of, well, it's just hard for me to connect to this and go through the motions of the day. If you're fasting, if you're restricting yourself from things that are pleasurable, you know, to try to induce that state, but I'm missing the connection when I don't understand that it's still so relevant and real because everybody on a personal and national level, we see everything you're talking about of the tragedy that's going on in the world. And as you're, you're but what you're saying is that the source of that is, is not having the temple or that fact the temple was destroyed as a response, um, a consequence of the fact that we're still struggling today with things, even from so long ago, of having this lack of love, lack of unity, lack of connection to ourselves, to others, and to God. Yes, you know, there's something else that's described in our by our sages, what happened when the temple was destroyed. It says that an iron wall separated us from the presence of God. And the symptoms and the indications of that is that fruit lost its taste, the sky lost its color, and, 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 and mankind has lost their pleasure in sexuality. And like, that sounds weird. Like that's what, that was what was lost. But what, what it really means on a deep level is uh, most people think that God is someone somewhere over there, transcendental, transcendental, an exclusively transcendental being. But actually Judaism teaches that God is both beyond us and this world and time and space while also in this very moment in this very space within us and when we lose that sense of god's presence within us and within each other um we we lose the taste of life because the the kabbalah teaches that the only thing that really attracts us and it's not a thing it's actually the no thing what attracts us is we are souls and a soul is so to speak so to speak a a piece of God. Of course, God doesn't break into pieces, but figuratively, poetically, we're like a piece of God. And we as a piece of God are only attracted to God. And that's all that interests us. When we look at a painting and we say, wow, something so beautiful about that painting, beauty is an attribute of God. God is beauty, even though beauty isn't God, because God is much greater than beauty. But in so much as God is beauty, I'm attracted to that painting because I'm attracted to God. You know, when I hear, uh, you know, an amazing talk by some brilliant person and I feel joy in that talk and I feel drawn, I'm, I'm drawn to the wisdom, of, not, but not of this person because this person didn't create wisdom. This person's not the source of wisdom. God is wisdom. And I, as a piece of God, am drawn to godliness and I'm drawn to wisdom. All that really interests us, even people who don't believe in God, is the presence of God in the food presence of God in this space, presence of God in these people. But when we forget and when we deny and when we violate living a life that is indicative of feeling the presence of God within us and around us and within each other, then we've essentially thrown the presence of God out of the world. And now fruit doesn't even taste as good anymore because what made the fruit taste good was this spiritual connection with God in the fruit. 
And, and, and the sky doesn't have that same color of blue anymore because what was beautiful about the blueness of the sky is I was tuned into the presence of God in the sky. And so too, in terms of sexuality, the pleasure of that deep connection was a deep connection, not on a physical level. It was two souls connecting and knowing they're one because God is one and we're one with God. And that's, again, what we're mourning over. We've lost our love of life. We've lost the taste of life. And, um, and, 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 and so it goes back to, again, it's not about a piece of real estate. It's about, it's about our state of mind and our state of being. Hmm. So meaning the piece of real estate was the physical manifestation when things we, we had a better, we were our relationships and our connection to God and life went a better place. Then the, the temple stood and destruction is symbolically representative of the deterioration, meaning it's the physical destruction, but more important than that, it's the soul was destroyed of this connection. Exactly. You know, it, it really goes down to how much do we want the presence of God in our lives? And again, what that turns into in terms of just daily speaking, you know, it means how much do we want wisdom in our lives, purpose in our lives, meaning in our lives, love in our lives, kindness in our lives, authenticity in our lives, peace in our lives. How much do we really, really want that? Is that really the number one yearning on our wish list? Or do we want money, fame, power? Because in, 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 in sadly, most people, when they ask, you know, are you successful? Or most people, when they try to figure out how successful they are, it somehow seems to have to do with money, power, and fame. When really success in our tradition is to choose life, to love life, to live life and, and, and the elements of true vitality and, 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 and life force is when you are channeling love and wisdom and kindness and, and truth and justice and, and peace, you're alive, then you're really alive. How much is that what people really, really want? Hmm. You know, there's an amazing teaching that God is crying over the temple. And that doesn't make any sense because, well, God, you destroyed it. You can easily snap your fingers and rebuild it. You know, so what's holding up, you know, and what's holding up God from rebuilding the temple, so to speak, is that we don't really, really want it. Because if we really, really wanted it, God would give it to us. But if he gives us something we don't really, really want, then we don't really get it because we didn't really want it. It'll be here, but not in our hearts, not in our lives. It'll just be another building over there with people arguing whose name they're going to put on it. Hmm. You know, and what we've lost here is have we really clarified what is really, really, really worth wanting, dreaming about and feeling really, really sad over the loss of, and the loss of love from the world, genuine, deep, deep love. If senseless hate is I hate you because you're different, senseless love would mean I love you because you're different. We're like puzzles in a puzzle. And a pu imagine a puzzle can't stand other pieces of puzzle because they're so different. That's why we make it together. I need you to be different. I can't be me if you're the same as me. And so this is the sad, sad state that we're mourning is the loss of the presence of God in the world. Mm. So really, when I talk about trying to make Tisha B'Av meaningful, it's no longer, I think, a challenge. It's just 
making the choice to be in the mind space of using the day to recognize in my life and in my nation and both historically and now, I mean, it's so relevant, all the tragedies and the losses that we all go through on a nation again, and on a personal level, everyone's gone through their own pain, their own loss, their own lack of love, their own lack of connection. But the next step, it sounds like to also um, really immerse in the day is real reflection about what do I want in my life? Meaning there's recognizing what's lacking. And then that recognition can actually catapult me to recognize what do I want more of? Do I want more of a connection with God? How can I achieve that more of a connection to myself, more of a connection to those in my life around me, to my people. And that is really a healing that can come from the day by recognizing the lack and the suffering that we're having because of that. But then also that, that recognition can lead me towards having clarity of what do I want more of? And what are the steps I can take to bring that more into my life? Yes, 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 yes. Hmm. And uh, yeah, I think we forgot what it means to really love, what it really means to connect, what it really means to get beyond ourselves. You know, there's a teaching, I, a, a, a student asked his rabbi, Rabbi, how many times a year do you fast? And the rabbi said, I never fast. And the student said, surely, Rabbi, you, you fast on, on Yom Kippur. And the rabbi says, no, I don't fast on Yom Kippur. He says, Rabbi, you eat on Yom Kippur. He says, how can I eat on Yom Kippur? I'm so immersed in doing tshuva. Who's hungry? He said, oh. He said, well, certainly you fast on Tisha B'av. He says, no, I don't fast on Tisha B'av. He says, Rabbi, you eat on Tisha B'av. Who could eat on Tisha B'av? I'm so broken. I'm so sad. Who has, who has any desire for food on a day like this? So the laws about Tisha B'av are really reflections of what we should be naturally. We should feel... We should feel no hunger for food because we're feeling so hungry for love. Mm. Wow. What a beautiful mind space to be in because it really takes the day from being just this hard day to get through, which unfortunately I think can often be the case, which is still a minimalized connection to what the day is about as opposed to going on with business as usual. But this transforms it into so relevant and such a powerful way of actually healing from the very things that we're lacking. The tragedy is not recognizing the tragedy, but it's also an opportunity by recognizing the tragedy of the day to heal from the tragedy and make steps towards more wholeness. I want to thank you all for joining us. Soul Talk, Rabbi David Aaron and Leora Mandel.